The following is a North Carolina Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. Well, in 1996, over 4,000 baseball coaches descended on the Opryland Hotel in Nashville, Tennessee. They descended for the American Baseball Coaches Association annual convention, and they heard from a gentleman named John Scalinas. Now, John Scalinas was 78 years old at the time, and he had retired five years earlier as the head baseball coach of the Cal, Cal Poly Panoma baseball team. But he was well known in the coaching community as a teacher and a coach of coaches. And so there was a buzz around the arena that John Scalinas, come on in folks, that John Scalinas was going to be speaking. Even though not every coach knew his name, those that did created this buzz around him talking that day. Well, there's some handouts over there on the table. Well, Scalinas came out on stage with a home plate hanging around his shoulders. And for 25 minutes of his talk, he didn't even reference the home plate. And finally, Scalinas said to the crowd, he said, now I'm not crazy and I'm not just an old man, but you're probably wondering why I have a home plate tied around my neck. And then he began to ask this question. He said, Little League coaches, how wide is home plate for Little League? Does anybody know the answer? Any baseball fans know the answer? Well, finally, one timid baseball coach yelled out with a question, kind of like we do in a room when somebody asks, 17 inches? And Coach Scalina said, that's right, 17 inches. And he said, Babe Ruth coaches, how wide is home plate? And another coach, not quite as timid, said, 17 inches. He said, that's exactly right. College coaches, how wide is home plate? 17 inches. Minor league coaches, how wide is home plate? 17 inches. Major league coaches, all the way up, major league managers, 17 inches. He says, that's right. No matter what age you are playing baseball, the home plate is 17 inches. And then Scalinas took that plate that was on his chest and he turned it around and he began to draw on it with a sharpie. And he flipped it back around and he had added onto that home plate a door and a window. And he said this, he said, what do we do with a pitcher in Little League who can't get the ball over the plate? So, well, we train him, we coach him. He said, that's right. By the time they get to the big leagues, what do we do with a pitcher that can't get the ball over home plate? And then he jokingly said, we send them to Pocatello, Idaho, which apparently is where all minor league pitchers go to die. He said, what we don't do is this. We don't say, Jimmy, you can't get the plate over 17 inches, so we're going to make it 19 inches. And then he said, and we don't say, if you can't get it over 19 inches, we'll widen it to 22 inches or 25 inches. We don't change the size of the plate based on the player. 
He said, coaches, here's our problem. In your, in your dugouts, when you have a rule about facial hair in your club, you enforce that rule. You don't change the rule. But when we go home, the problem we have in our homes is we're widening the plate. Then he did this. He drew a bell tower on top of that plate. And he said, our problem with our schools is we keep widening the plate. And then he drew a cross on top of that and said, the problem with our churches is that instead of keeping the 17 inches, we widen the plate. And we're often changing the scorecard to match the player. Instead of saying to the player, you have to stay within 17 inches. The whole point of gospel-centered life design is understanding the 17 inches that God has given you. What are the 17 inches of your life that God has said, I have called you to do this? See, here's what we do in Christian ministry. And I know there's more than pastors in the room. This is true of all Christians, all disciples, but particularly those who are paid holy people can fall into this trap. And here's the trap. Instead of changing our life to fit our calling, we change our calling to fit our life. And so the whole idea of gospel-centered life design is helping you to define those 17 inches and then designing your life around those 17 inches. So that we're doing a process at the convention, several different uh, delivery systems for this process called Life Unique. Unique, you see it down there on the bottom of the first page, Y-O-U, Unique. Because here's our, here's our bold declaration. We believe everyone's calling is knowable and nameable. Everyone's calling is knowable and nameable. Now you say, well, of course, Upshaw, that's the truth. We know our calling. Y'all been talking about the calling for, for the last two days. It's Matthew 28, right? That's our calling to go and make disciples. Well, yes, that's true. And that is the calling for every disciple of Jesus Christ. But we would lean into that and say, but there is a specific design God has for your life and how He's called you to be a part of that great commission that is unique to you and different from those around you. The same mission for everyone. The personality, the gifts, the abilities, the location, the life setting that He has you in, however, is specific to you. There is no one else who has the same identity as you have. We have the same identity in Christ generally, but He's called you specifically. Just as He said to Esther, just as Mordecai said to Esther, you have been placed here for such a time as this. God has given each of you abilities, talents, passions in a specific context to bring Him glory to make disciples by living out your special calling. What is your great permission within the great commission? That's what gospel-centered life design is all about. So while we're talking about a long process, today I want to just share with you one lightweight deliverable from this toolkit that we call Unique 
about how do we design our lives around this calling. Now, Ephesians 2.10 is there on your handout. And Ephesians 2.10 is a great verse because it helps us to remember that Jesus did not just die to forgive us, though we celebrate that. We didn't just come to the gospel for forgiveness. We come to the gospel for freedom. And so while Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 help us to understand forgiveness in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2, 10 helps us to understand freedom in Jesus Christ. Look at what it says. For we are His workmanship. That word workmanship is a beautiful word in the New Testament. It's the word from which we get our English word poem. It's the idea of masterpiece, workmanship, work of art, that each of us is crafted as a unique work of art in the kingdom of God. It's as if we're in an art gallery, and I've gone to the North Carolina Museum of Art when they've had artists on display. One time they had a, a Rembrandt exhibit, and I went into the Rembrandt exhibit and I could see that there were different paintings, but as I began to examine each of those paintings, while each painting was unique, I could begin to pick out patterns of the artist in each of those unique portraits. And so that is a picture of the church. We are God's art gallery, if you will. Every one of us a unique portrait, but each of us with the fingerprints of the Master all over the painting. He says, we are His workmanship created how? Created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works that God's already prepared, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. In other words, He has a special calling, a unique mission for each of us in how we are to live out and do the good works that He's already prepared for us, that is unique to each individual. So within that, there's a couple of blanks to fill out on the first page. I've given you the key for the rest of the handout, so we won't get bogged down in blanks, but I just wanted you to to fill in at least these first page blanks. So gospel-centered life design is not about, it's not about, uh, I decide what I want to do with my life and then I ask God to bless it. That is not what it's about. That... That's what sometimes we get nervous about in the Christian life. If I'm saying, I'm designing this life, then what's God's role in the life? That's not it. What this is, is gospel-centered life design is a confession. That's what goes in that blank. It's a confession of faith for walking in the good works that God has prepared for you. It's a confession of faith. So some people shy away from life design because we don't know the future. We can't possibly know what's going to happen in our lives one, two, three years down the road. While while that is true, here's what's also true. If I don't plan and prepare and direct myself down a path, I will never get to a destination. And so gospel-centered life design is about under God, confessing faith that this is where I believe my life is headed, and I'm going to trust Him with that, and I'm going to start to plan and prepare for that direction. Now, we do this with finances, we sit down with a financial advisor and we say, there's going to be a day that comes, Lord willing, when we, we can retire. At, at, when I met with my financial advisor yesterday, that moved from 68 to 69, right? It changes over time because Social Security laws change, everything changes, and we start, but we plan. 
We plan for this. So if we'll plan it for our finances, why not plan that way for all of life? It's a confession of faith that as best as I can understand with the information God has given me today, this is the path He has called me to walk, prepared me for good works beforehand to walk in these. Okay. Number two, gospel-centered life design helps you to answer the question, what does an integrated life look like? What does an integrated life look like? <clears throat> so, let me see if I can explain that. We all know that we have a whole life to live. The young pastor's luncheon yesterday was talking about soul care. Some of you were in that room. And they, were, they had a panel talking about soul care. The idea of an integrated life is the fact that we don't just live in one silo all the time. We have, we have different aspects of our life. And in the old days, some of you may have done some of this work, some of this planning work where you, you thought about your health. And then you thought about your family. And you thought about your work. And then if you were... If you were really smart, you thought about play as well. And we thought about these, we might call them domains of life, but each one was a silo. In fact, such a silo that it sometimes follows our lifespan, the way we think about this. Hopefully we're thinking about our health and our spiritual health specifically all the time, but many people live their lives this way. In their 20s, they think about love finding who they're going to spend the rest of their lives with, starting that family. In their 30s, 40s, and 50s, they think about work. And then, in their 60s and 70s, they buy that fifth wheeler and they go play. And that's the way we live our lives. The problem with this is it's not integrated. It's not integrated. It's not a whole life lived all the time. It's piecemealing our lives and bringing one focus into play at different seasons of our lives. So this, this whole idea of life design, this last question is the key question above that notes box. The key question, how do I create a whole life and not just a partial life? A whole life, not just a partial life. So what we're going to do for the rest of our time this morning is just begin to think about what does integration of this look like? How do I, how do I keep score, if you will? How do I keep score of my life in such a way that we can think about health, love, work, and play? So before you turn the page, just write these four words in that blue box. Health, love, work, and play. And specifically, what, let me define these a little bit for you. When I talk about health, I'm mostly going to be referring to spiritual health. What does my walk with Christ look like? How do I evaluate my spiritual life? Love is mo mostly focused on family and friends. Family and friends. My wife Brandy and I have been married 25 years. We've got a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old. So we are in a season of life in our family. How do, I, how do I measure how that's going? And then work. Work's pretty self-explanatory, but I want to broaden the definition of work 
to not just what you get a paycheck for, but what is your contribution? So that could be beyond your nine to five. What is your contribution? And then play, we're focusing on replenishment. What do I do to fill my tank? Now, nudge your neighbor and ask, which of these four, which two of these four do most people focus the most time on? Which two of the four do most people give most of their time to or focus their most time on? Nudge your neighbor and ask him that question 30 seconds. Which two of the four do we spend most of our time on? On your mark, get set, go. How much of your time is spent on these? Most people. Where do most people spend most of their time? What would you say? What were them? These two? What do you think, Brother Dennis? The two in the middle? Hey, I, I've got teenagers in my house. I would, I would love to be doing some more of this. But I'm, I'm thinking about FAFSA applications and college applications. Some of you are in my season. You know what I'm talking about, right? And if I'm younger and I've got kids, Saturday morning, I'm not in the deer stand I'm at the soccer field. Okay, so this takes a lot of our time. And what's the other one? Work. Work. Most of us, most people, realistically, spend most of their lives focusing on these two circles. And that's, that's awesome. These are important. But here's the problem. These outer two fuel the inner two. The outer two give fuel to the inner two. And so if we're not living an integrated life, it is a tragedy. Here's the tragedy. It's like seeing a fuel truck, a tanker truck, sitting on the side of the road because it's out of gas. You think about the irony of that? A fuel truck sitting on the side of the road because it's out of gas. If we just focus on these two parts of our lives, if we're not integrating our whole life, then we can run out of gas quickly, even though we have the source to fuel everything at our disposal. So how do we think about integrating and how do we think about measuring? I mean, if I were to ask you right now, before you turn the page, If I were to ask you, how do you measure health? How do you know if you're doing well with your spiritual health? How do you know if you're doing well with your family? How do you assess work? How do you assess replenishment? Most of us don't really have a plan for that. So let's turn the page and look at what the psalmist might say about that kind of plan. How do I know if I'm, quote, winning is the question. How do I know if I'm, quote, successful? Well, let's look at the Bible. Let's look at a pattern that we see in the Bible. And I'd like to just submit to you that there's a model we see in the book of Psalms. The Psalms are a beautiful collection 
God-ordained collection of words. Like the whole Bible is that, right? The whole Bible is a beautifully God-ordained collection of words. The other 65 books of the Bible, generally speaking, are God's words to man. But the Psalms, now catch this, are God's words to man about man's words back to God. The Psalms are a collection of prayers and songs. And I would suggest to you that any season of life, any emotional season of life that you find yourself in, you can find expression of that in the Psalms. So I want to just present to you this idea of Psalms spirituality. It comes from a theologian named Walter Brueggemann. uh, And it's it's a, a, a theological concept that he says that the Psalms can be characterized in one of three different categories. Brueggemann's words are these, uh, orientation, disorientation, and then new orientation or reorientation. So Brueggemann would say when you look at the Psalms, that all of the Psalms can be characterized in orientation, disorientation, or In the book, he says new orientation. Your handout says reorientation. But we're going to use three three words that are a little simpler. Thriving for orientation. Surviving for disorientation. And then reviving for reorientation. So looking at at the work of David and the other psalmists, we can see that there are psalms that help us to understand is our life thriving, reviving, sorry, thriving, surviving, or reviving. Thriving, surviving, or reviving. And this corresponds to the seasons on the calendar. We, we know that God has designed our lives this way. In fact, we, which season do we, we would hope our lives are always in? Which season? This is, this is, a, this is a softball question. Wow. Right? We all want to always be thriving, right? We don't want to always be surviving. But what is the reality of our lives? Our lives have seasons. Our lives have seasons. Our lives have some summertime when things are, are green and blooming and it's fruitful. We have seasons that are fall and winter when things are starting to die and things are in decay and some things lie dormant in our lives. But then we have seasons of spring where there's new life, there's new things happening, there's reviving going on. And so the next page kind of gives some some texture to that with these blanks. We're not going to cover them all. That's why I've given you the blanks. But, But it's the idea that this, these life states that we have, thriving, surviving, and reviving, those life states correlate with Scripture's biggest narrative about the individual lives of the saints. Uh, This is a faith-accessed story cycle. 
We all live in a story. Our lives don't just happen as one straight line. There are ups and downs, turns. And by the way, no story is a good story unless there's some disorientation in the story. We don't enjoy a story unless there's some part of it where there's disorientation, where there's a fall, where there's a broken thing. And we're always looking in that story for the resolution to whatever's broken. And that's the way our lives are. That's the way my life is. So thriving is the goodness of creation. It's the season of summer. Surviving is, is judgment through sickness. I'm sorry, judgment through sin or brokenness. But you could also say it's not always judgment. Surviving could be in a time of pain through suffering. Sometimes related to sin, sometimes pain related to suffering. The seasons of fall and winter. Some seasons, though, are restoration by grace, where we see God taking what was dormant, what was broken, what felt like the valley of the shadow of death, and He brings new life. This is the cycle of our lives. Uh, so, so the biggest observation we can make is that assessment of your life, what does success look like? Success is not how well you're doing in the category. Success is maturity to know how do I talk back to God regardless of how I'm doing in the category. How do I talk to God regardless of how I'm doing in the category? My daughter, 17 years old, having a debate with a friend about Christians having depression. said, Christians can't have depression. She said, no, Christians can't have depression. And she came to me and she said, Dad, where in the Bible can I look to talk about Christians with depression? I said, well, let's look at Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. David having to remind himself even in the dimmest, darkest times that there was a God still on the throne. Even when he couldn't see, even when he was downcast, reminding himself to hope in God. There are seasons of our lives. Thriving, surviving, reviving. So it's not about doing great in each of these categories. It's how do I evaluate my life to speak back to God properly no matter which category I find myself in. So here, here's some benefits, uh, number five down there. Uh, using this, this assessment tool keeps our weekly reflection times, and I'll talk about that more in a minute, ultimately God-centered and not man-centered. So when I evaluate health, love, work, and play, I'm not asking how well I'm doing, I'm asking where is God wherever I'm, however I'm doing. Number, number next, reminds us of the hope of the Gospel both temporarily and eternally. That's that verse I just quoted. It's four times in Psalm 42 and 43. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. That's the Gospel. Next, builds an anticipation of the guaranteed and redemptive goodness of God. It tells me even if my life feels like I'm just surviving, hanging by a thread, tied a knot at the bottom of my rope and hanging on, there will come a day when He will bring revival and new life, either in this, this place or the next. 
It nurtures awareness with myself and with God. So here, here again, this is the win. The win is awareness. So John 10.10, we've pulled John 10.10 out of the context of the Gospels and we have made it to mean something I don't believe Jesus made it to mean. He says, I have come to give you what kind of life? Abundant life. I've come to give you life and life abundant. And we have pulled out abundant life as if that's a prosperity idea when in fact it is an understanding of awareness of where God is and our relationship and identity with Him regardless of what's happening here. That's the idea of abundant life. This is the win. Abundance is awareness. And abundance is found through integration. Abundance is found when I can begin to integrate my health, love, work, and play in a well-lived, whole life. It accounts, this system accounts for having highs and lows in different categories of life. So, in other words, I can be thriving at work, get the raise, get the promotion, get the accolades, and at the same time, have a trouble having trouble with one of my children. I can have a great family life. Kids are getting straight A's and all of them are above average and my wife's doing wonderfully, but I'm totally sapped every night because I'm working so hard that I never get to spend time with this wonderful family. So the replenishment's off. I can be thriving in one category and off in the others. In fact, when there is survival in these categories, love, work, and play, what does it hopefully do to our spiritual lives? It brings enrichment and depth. <coughs> so these play off of one another. Finally, it gives permission for the wide range of emotions in your life. So uh, this, this is a, a tool to use to assess life. So I want to ask you a question. Based on this, this is just for you, not to answer out loud, just for your assessment. How are you doing? If you were to just to take two minutes, I'll be generous. I'll give you three minutes to assess your life. My, love, my, my spiritual life, my family life, my contribution or work life, my replenishment or my play. How are you doing in those categories? So take a moment. Look on the next page. There's a scorecard. And in those circles, just write, just for now, health, love, work, and play. If we were doing the full process, we would name these. You would name these based on something that's personal, personable and memorable to you. So we would create storylines for each of these aspects of life. But right now, just assess. Think about Think about your life over the last week. That's all I want. The last week. Reflect on the last week and say, what would you give your life? Would you say that your spiritual life, your walk with the Lord, has been thriving, surviving, or reviving? So if this was a traffic light, thriving is the green light, 
Surviving's the red light. Reviving's the yellow light. It's your spiritual life. Are you thriving? Is it just sweet times with the Lord where He's been speaking to you and you feel His breath upon you? Is it surviving where you feel like your prayers aren't hitting the ceiling, not going any further? Time in the Word has been hard to come by and you know you're not doing the disciplines like you need to? Or is it reviving? You've, you've been in the wilderness, but you're starting to sense breakthrough. How would you rank your spiritual life? And then your family. How would you assess that? Are you hitting on all cylinders in your family life? Marriage is great. Kids are great. Thriving friendships. Is it thriving? Is it exciting? Is it fulfilling? Is it surviving? Is there rebellion? Conflict? (coughs) Disappointment? Or is it reviving? You've been through that season. Your 22-year-old son has come home and the guy that used to think you didn't know anything now says you're the wisest man he knows. You see that reviving happening? Is it that way? Where are you in your family? What about your work? What about your contribution that you're making? Thriving, surviving, or reviving? And then finally, how about your replenishment? Now, pastors, I want to talk to you just for a second. I've done this with several groups of people now, and pastors have the hardest time. Some pastors have the hardest time with this last category. Because we've bought into a myth that our people expect us to be on all the time. Well, that may not be a myth for some of you. But that's, that's a lie from the devil. Every one of us needs replenishment. So where's your life? Surviving? Are you taking time to replenish? Now, that could be the golf course. It could be the deer stand. It could be sitting down with a book. It could be staring at a fire in a fire pit. It could be doing chores around the house because that's the way you relax. It doesn't have to be play. It doesn't have to be epic. Is it a rhythm for you? How would you grade your life? Now, I said you didn't have to share and you don't have to, but if you want to, I just want to give you a moment to talk because sometimes it helps to verbalize this to a neighbor. And if you came with somebody, turn to the guy you don't know, if you want to do that, anonymity, and just share. Where's your life right now? How would you assess your life in these four rhythms? Take a moment and talk to your neighbor. When your mark gets set, go. What, what are some of the things that you realized as you did this exercise? What's something that was an aha for you as you did this exercise? Anybody have an aha moment? Hindsight's 2020. Hindsight's 2020? Okay. Say more about that, Brother James. Well, you look at your life and you say, okay, my 30s, I spent way too much time on work. Right. And not enough time in families, and not enough time 
and help. I just asked my partner here, because you don't know who he is. I said, work is stuck in the middle on all of them. Mm-hmm. How do you get out of it? How right. do you get out of that right? right, right, right. And I answer my own question. I think, go back to number one. That's right. Yeah. Say, okay. Um, Lord, I've made mistakes in the past on spending too much time in contribution. Sure. Yeah, that's good. Spend enough time on play. That's good. But my definition of play and my wife's definition of play is two different things. <laughs> yeah, that's another breakout. <laughs> but that's great. That's great observations, Pastor. Thank you so much. So, so here's the deal on that. Um, don't beat yourself up whatever stage of life you're in. Okay, and and I would agree. If they're all in a bad place, we've got to start back with number one and start start back with the Lord. Yes, sir. I was just, well, my dad would have been 107 today. How about that? My family, you know, sending texts out about it and that sort of thing. <laughs> and I remember him so fondly. And there's a little book called The Dash, and you go to the cemetery yeah. and you see, you know, mm-hmm. the birth and death. The dash, that's, right. that's your entire life. That's right. It's a little short thing. So yeah. You kind of ask yourself, well, what to do with that? Yeah, you, amen. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really important. So all of these are important. Yes, sir. That, Thank you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's exactly what this is about. So one of the exercises you would do if you did the whole thing, one of the other tools, is if you had to tweet what you wanted on your tombstone, what would be that thing in 240 characters, 280 characters, whatever it is now, or less, what would you want said about you at your funeral? What's your epitaph going to be? Right, Visioning out, what do I want my life to look like at the, at the end of my, my earthly life? It's a great observation. Somebody else, what's your aha from this? Yeah, Heather. I feel like I have a good balance, but I feel like I have to fight for us to keep everything balanced. Good. Excellent. Yeah, and, and I appreciate you saying that word balance um, because that's, that's a word we often try to achieve. But here, here's, what, here's what this tool has helped me with. It's helped me to understand that I may never achieve balance as much as I need to understand whichever season I'm in that the Lord is with me through that season. Amen. That, um, and, and frankly, I, don't, I didn't get one of those uh, yardsticks they're passing out downstairs. I wish I had. But, but Wayne, Cordero gives a, Wayne Cordero gives an illustration of balance with a yardstick and a fulcrum. You know, I'm not a geometry guy, but here's what I understand. He says, we always talk about balance as if we're going to get everything in the middle. But reality is, you can achieve balance no matter where the weight's going down in your life. What do you have to do? You have to move. You have to move the fulcrum, the investment of your life to whatever's bearing down. And so it's, it's normal in life to know that balance for me, if balance is out of whack with my work, I may need to invest more time here for a season and put weight there. This tool helps me to say that's okay, but I can't stay there forever. I can't stay here forever. It helps me to assess. And so every week, every week, we build in to life what we call a weekly weekly reflection time. 20 minutes, no more. Stand-up meeting with yourself, we call it, because you don't want to spend too much time not people don't want to do it if it takes too much time and just sit down with a, an assessment tool that looks like
the top of that page, part of the assessment tool, and reflect. How am I doing this week? How did I do this week on health, love, work, and play? And every week, I assess my life based on Psalm spirituality. Is my life surviving? Is my life reviving or is it thriving? And if, if I find that there are, there's more than two in surviving, then I need to take a time out and figure out how to get things back where they need to be. And some of it's something I can do. Some of it is simply waiting on the Lord. And this tool has helped me to reflect on what, what can I do and how do I live in the moments God's given me to live in. It creates spiritual awareness. Yes, sir. So if you're truly spiritual healthy, and I know that can count very, but if you're truly spiritual healthy, how's the rest of it out of balance? Okay. Well, because there's circumstances that can happen in my life that are beyond my control. And I can still have a walk with the Lord that's deep and rich and meaningful. And these things can be out of whack. Would, would you agree? Or? Well, I'm, I'm saying you're going to put it, if my walk is true with the Lord, okay. then I'm where He wants me to be. Yes. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, that's right. Spiritually healthy with the Lord, then the rest of the Yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. And so, yes. And so, I would agree with you. I think I'm agreeing with you that if... If I understand spiritual health is about knowing where I'm at and knowing God is with me wherever I'm at, I can say, uh, to, to paraphrase the Psalms, God, this stinks, but this is where you have me. You know. On the other hand, if I'm spending time at work, reading my Bible and not doing work, that's not the spiritual healthy word. There you go. That's right. If, I, if I'm not a good steward of my work time uh, for the interest of spiritual things, but my boss, who's a non-believer thinks I'm a poor steward of his time, then I'm not honoring God in my work. But if I was spiritually healthy, I wouldn't be... Exactly. Exactly. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. But if you, if you have a problem with one of the three on the right, then they point you back to God. That's what He has sure. designed you for, to come to Him. Mm -hmm. And as you come to Him, you realize that maybe he's trying to teach you something. Yeah. And that's the reason why you're in yeah, the spot. That's right. Yeah, and in fact, we can look at all of these. In fact, we should look at all of these as sacred. They're all part of our spiritual life because there's no separation. It's a whole life that God's working throughout. Okay, one one final thought. I, yeah, Brother Carol. I think one of the things too is each of these areas has to be intentional. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's not going to happen on a, <laughs> that's right. on a normal continuum. That's you right. You have to be intentional about each of those. Intentionality. That's yes. right. And that's what the whole process is designed to help us do is get intentionality. Okay? Let's pivot to another tool. Uh, look on the next page. I just want to give you a taste today of a couple of things. If this storyline tool helps us to assess health in the short term, then the next exercise is a little fun in thinking about what is it that will bring fruitfulness and fulfillment and flourishing to my life for the gospel in the long term. And it's a bucket list. Now, you've seen the movie maybe. Hope you haven't, but you might have seen the movie. Or um, maybe you've heard this term before. What am I dreaming about down the road? Here again, some people have a hard time with this exercise. But I want to give you permission today to think about your life, to think about measuring success for the long term in God's terms, not your own. This isn't a selfish idea of success. This is 
what could I do in my life to bring the most honor to God and the most service to others if these things were true in my life? In other words, who gets to flourish if I flourish? Who gets to flourish if I flourish? Um, If it feels selfish to you to do an exercise like this, then there's a heart issue that you need to address. But a bucket list, a dream list, is just simply saying, what are the things that I believe God has placed in my heart that I want to do in my life? Now, they could be in these four categories, or five categories. You could list a thing to do. I want to do this before I die. For me, I want to go to the Holy Land. That's on my bucket list. Haven't made it. Specifically, I want to tour the sites of the seven churches of Asia Minor. Yeah, that 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 dream is going dwindling with our world events, right? But it's still in my bucket list. Okay. Uh, number two, it could be a place to go like that, a thing to do or a place to go. It could be a skill to learn. Hey, you know, I really would like to to learn to sail before I die. Is there anything wrong with that? Hope not. I would like to be able to hunt like Tommy Lockwood. Um, It could be an objective to achieve. I want to do the wild turkey grand slam in North America before I die. Some of y'all know what that is. Um, It could be a possession to obtain. So what is it if you were to write down for your health, your love, your work, and your play, just start a bucket list. There's an, there's an example on the next page to spark your interest. On this next page, just to spark your interest. Okay? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to try to write down at least one in each category, and I'm going to give you one minute to do that. One minute. you got to, come on. If you can't come up with four things you want to do, on your bucket list in a minute, then you really need my help. (laughs) All right? One minute. At least four things you want to do. Okay? Some some people just shout out. What are some things on your bucket list? Finish well. Finish well. Great. Somebody, what you got on your bucket list? Finish your degree. Awesome. Awesome. Somebody else? Work out daily. Work out daily. Great. Great. Somebody else? Stop putting myself last. Stop putting yourself last? Very good. Yeah. Finish reading through the Bible. I got a way to go. Finish reading through the Bible. Excellent. Excellent. Somebody else? Learn a second language. language. Great, Jeff. Somebody else? What do you want to do? Travel with my wife. Travel with your wife. Excellent. So here's what I challenge you to do. I would challenge you to make a list of 25 in each of these categories. A hundred, a hundred things on a bucket list. We don't spend a lot of time dreaming. Dreaming, I believe, is a, is actually a spiritual discipline that we have not explored in our culture. Scripture says that. Old man, dream, dream. Yeah. What does it look like to step back and take a long-term view of life? Instead of looking backwards and saying, I wish I had 
done these things. Contribution. Okay, last thing. Last thing, just to kind of give you the whole picture. Uh, in, the whole, in the whole unique process, there are actually five master tools that we would introduce you to. We did a part of the middle of the process today, just to give you a taste. Something that's tangible that you can take by, your, by the, just what we did today. You can start a routine of thinking about how am I designing my life? What am I doing this week? What do I need to do next week based on surviving, reviving, thriving? And then long term, what are the dreams that God has for my life that I need to step into? Okay, if that sounds too mystical for you, I would love to explain it further. Okay, because I am a rational left brain. If I can't see it and put it in a test tube, I don't believe it. That's my wiring. And so this idea of dreaming has been a hard one for me to understand but God has really opened my eyes to what His Word tells me about trusting in Him for my future. Not a fantasy, but a dream. And there's a difference. The Bible tells us there's a difference between dreams and fantasies. And He gives us dreams to dream that help us to know what to do with the rest of our lives. So, here are the five master tools and then we'll be done. Uh, The first tool we would look at is called the clarity spiral. The clarity spiral helps us to understand that life's not an A to B journey. But it's more like going up a mountain. And if we were to take this spiral and set it on its side, the more we go up, the clearer the perspective gets. And so in our lives, we need clarity so that we can, we can really put away the noise in our lives, the fog, and see a broader horizon. The more we get out of the fog, the clearer we can see a farther horizon. And then we would talk about a sweet spot. What is... What is the thing that God has called me to do that's in my sweet spot? Where, does, where do my abilities, my passions, and the context He's placed me in, where do those come together so I can really understand what God has gifted me to do? What's my call? And then to build a picture frame, if you will, a vision frame around my calling, my core values, and then a strategy and a measure for my life. This is where we were today, thinking about the measurement. And then, based on my calling, my core values, my life call, my life core steps to get there, and the score that I'm keeping, what picture should I paint in the middle of that? What is my long-term horizon? What are my plans? What are the plans that God has for me? And not the coffee mug version of that verse, but in context, Jeremiah 29 context. Out of Babylon, what is the dream God has for for Jerusalem for me? And then finally, how do I build my life around this vision? How do I have a plan for, for daily walking, weekly reflecting, quarterly planning, and annual dreaming? And we would build that out in this gospel-centered life design process. I'm passing around a sheet if you'd like to be added to a mailing list to let you know about some of the ways we're going to roll out this, rolling out this training in 2020. Uh, there will be several versions. We'll have a couple of delivery systems. One's going to be an o- online coaching co- cohort that meets weekly. We're doing a special workshop in Winston-Salem uh, in, the, in the spring with Pilot Pot. Pilot Mountain Baptist Association, partnering with them to do that. And there's a couple of other things that are going to be happening. So that, that sheet is up here. It's going to be coming around. 
Uh, you have an evaluation sheet there for you to reflect on how this was for you today, if this was beneficial or not. And then finally, before I let you go, let me just ask this question. What did you like best about what you heard today? What did you like best about what you heard during this session? Looking at different aspects of life. Okay, looking at different as- aspects of life. Good. Somebody else? Yes, ma'am. Good. Looking Actually dreaming, yeah. Looking at myself. Looking at yourself. That's good. That's right. Somebody else. Taking time to assess, because I think we just let life happen sometimes. Yes, ma'am. Really assess what's been happening in our life and the things that are lacking. Yeah. Making time to assess, because we let life happen to us. That's exactly right. Thank you. Somebody else. I think being reminded that we will go through different seasons in life and we can be... We can beat ourselves up and feel guilty for what we are. <coughs> yeah. Good. Thank you, Brother Tim. Yeah. God's with us regardless of the season, no matter what season we're in. We don't need to beat ourselves up. We need to see reality and name reality and understand God's with us in that reality. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. It's okay to admit we're not okay. Yeah. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank You so much for this day. I do thank You, Lord, that You have called us to be Your children. And You have not just died on the cross to forgive us, You have died to set us free. To free freedom to live for You, to bring You glory. So I pray that You would help each of us to understand where Your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that You, O God, have prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. And help us to design and order our everyday lives in a way that walks in the plans You have for us. Be glorified, O God, in our lives today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.